This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. New York Times bestselling and award-winning author of Kick-Ass International Thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. And Taylor, I don't think I have ever looked forward to talking to you so much. There's been so much information on Facebook about Francis that (laughs) I just want to know what's really happening. Okay, so the reason you know about it is because Julie told you, right? Well, yes. I will confess to that. <laughs> I don't go on Facebook very often, but Julie has been good. relating the story of of everything that's happened. And then this morning she was telling me more, and I'm like, "Stop! I'm going to be talking to Taylor this afternoon. Yes. I'm going to get the whole story." So the point being that Steve, you are getting it exactly at the same time as the listeners. This is all new for you too, yes. right? Yes. All right. So um, everybody knows Francis is my goose friend. Like I have other geese, but she's the special one. And shortly after, like maybe a couple of days after the last time you and I recorded, um, I was outside and I noticed that she was behaving not very goose-like. Like you get to, you get to see your, the geese and you get, you just get a sense of what's normal behavior and what's normal, be- what's not. And for a goose to just stand around with her head on her shoulder, just not really doing anything while all of her friends are, you know, grazing and preening and doing, it's just like, it was off. And I was like, huh, that's weird. And I wasn't really sure what was going on. And then, so that night I put her in a little pen that I have separated her just thinking, well, maybe she just needs some time alone, just needs some rest or whatever, not wandering around at night and, you know, she'll be better. So I, I did that and I took her out the next morning and she just, she looked fine. You know, she picked her head up and squawked and tried to get away from me when I tried to catch her. So, okay, yeah, she's fine. And I sent her off with everybody else. And then that afternoon I, you know, just looked out to check on her again and she's standing there with her head hanging towards the ground. Like her neck had no ability to hold itself up. And I've never seen a goose do that. That is not normal goose behavior. So I went to go get her. And as soon as I got close and she saw I was trying to catch her, her head went right up and she tried to run away from me. And I was like, okay, well, there's nothing wrong with her neck, but there's definitely something wrong with her. So I got her and I brought her inside into the bathroom. And I just kind of was observing her for a bit. And... I had noticed over the last couple of days of that, that, you know, not only was she spending a lot of time hanging her head or just resting her head on her shoulders, which for geese to rest their heads on their shoulders is normal when they're sleeping, but not when they're just standing there while everybody's eating and moving around and they're just kind of off by themselves. So I had noticed that her feathers had looked kind of funny. So when I brought her inside, I looked at her feathers and the, her entire back, her shoulder blade, just all the way down to her skin was just drenched with what I could only assume was goose drool. 
And that is absolutely not normal. I'm like, I don't know what she's not well. And I noticed she wasn't eating. She wasn't drinking. She wasn't. And she was doing weird things with her head and her tongue was flicking in and out of her mouth. And none of that was normal behavior. And I just I didn't even know what to do. So I went to Google and it's really, really hard to find information on geese online. Like I can find it for any other animal, but geese, for some reason, it just, it's not there. And you can find stuff for waterfowl, but then sometimes it's talking about ducks. And even though they're similar, they're not the same, you know? So I I was really starting to stress out. I, I did not know what was wrong. And I'd been posting about it in the Facebook group and one of the Facebook group members uh, sent me the number of somebody they knew who knew a lot about geese. And so I called them and they're like, yeah, this is kind of beyond me. I'm going to give you the number from somebody else who's like a really true goose expert. So I called that person and they were so nice, but they're like, I just really don't know. I, I've never in my 25 years of raising and rehabbing geese have ever seen a goose drool like that. And they're like, the best thing I can tell you is to go, um, like, here's the here's number of a clinic, a specialist clinic that deals with exotic species. And there's a doctor that works there that I know has just ex- an extensive clinical history working on geese. But that clinic wanted like $200, over $200 just to walk her through the front door. Like, that didn't count anything else. And I... And, after all the diagnostics that we'd been doing, I knew that there was nothing that they were going to be able to tell about her without blood tests, probably x-rays. And when I was just like, I can't afford a thousand, another thousand dollar or more vet bill after what I just went through with a stupid goat. Um, and this is a goose that free ranges outside. I mean, she could just disappear one night. Uh, anything could happen to her. You get hit, hit by a car. I don't know. So I just, I'm like, I can't, I just can't. So I got to figure this out. So I just kept, you know, spent so much time online just querying different words, trying to find old, like, just anything. Somebody could tell me what was going on. And I couldn't find anything. But what I did find was this really old thread from this person who had a goose that wasn't eating. And the people in the forum were saying, well, okay, you need to go get this specialized feed that they use for hand feeding, like, baby parrots and whatever. It's very, very dense nutritionally. And then you need to get that, like, tube feed her. And I, I couldn't tube feed her. So I'm terrified of it because you can get it wrong and, and then you kill them because you're just putting it right into their lungs instead of down their throat. So, but I went and I found I found the stuff. And so I brought it home and I started mixing it, mixed it up for her. And prior to that, I'd tried everything to get her to eat. And I'd been syringe feeding her electrolytes, which she didn't want. And I tried giving her like, at first I thought it was maybe a problem with her crop, like something was stuck in her digestion. And I tried, you know, giving her a solution of baking soda and olive oil. And she flung that out. Anything I put in her mouth, she was just flinging it all over me, flinging it all over the walls. And like hardly any of it was going down her throat. But when I gave her this stuff, she was like, oh, that's not so bad. (laughs) And she actually wanted to eat it. I was like, okay, thank God. So I was just like, put a little bit on her tongue and she, she started eating. And once I had done that for like two or three days. And meanwhile, all this time she's in my bathroom. I'm just like, oh my God, she just makes such a mess. Um, <laughs> she actually started eating, eating again. And I was like, okay. So I, I finally got to the point where I could trust, like maybe she could go spend a little while out in the backyard with 
the other geese or something. And the other geese wanted nothing to do with her and are like pecking at her and chasing her away. I'm like, okay, that's not going to work. And I found a way to get her alone. And so she spent the day out alone. Well, she spent a few hours and then I could tell she was like, not okay. She's like starting to pant and heat. And I brought her back inside, did the whole hand feeding thing again. Tried again. Long story short, after many more days of that, I finally got to the point where it felt safe enough to put her outside and she could do okay. She can keep up with the geese, but I still have to, like, she's not well. She's not where, she doesn't have the same energy. She walks a little bit funny. She holds her wings a little bit funny. She still spends a lot of time resting. And she now has wet feather disease, which it's probably my fault, but wet feather disease is when like goose lose their waterproofing. And so if she gets wet, she just looks like a wet bird just drowned. And, um, and so she loves taking her baths and then she's wet for like three hours trying to dry off in the sun. And it's probably my fault from getting oil on her. And so I just have to give it time and see if it fixes itself. And then I've got to try some other solutions for it. But anyway, last night we had this massive, massive series of storms move through. And uh, and the temperatures are starting to drop, thank God. And there was tornadoes, not so not super close. So I wasn't worried about those. But what I was worried about was Frances being out there in the rain and getting drenched. <laughs> so I had to go catch her up, go running out in the, the rain, the storm, find her, catch her. And I just put like this old sheet down in, in the in the mudroom and just sat there with the door open so she could see outside. The other geese could see her, but it's like lightning and thunderstorming and downpouring out there. And we're just sitting in the mudroom, hanging out and I'm giving her goose snacks, trying to keep make sure she's being fed. And then it was all over and she walked off. But I got some great pictures of it and all the other geese like, <laughs> what the heck is going on in there? Giving us some funny looks and stuff. And that's all up on Facebook. And that's my very long story that I tried to cut short, but it's still very long. <laughs> so, yeah. As it happened. But so far, it's an all's well that ends well story, and it didn't sound like it was going to, it sounded like it was going downhill very quickly for a, a while. Yeah, it, it got really to the point where, it. yeah, it got to the point where the goose expert said, you know, if you drive her to where she is, which is going to be like a three-hour drive, that she would euthanize her for me so that she didn't have to suffer. And I just, you know, started bawling my eyes out over that. I mean, I'm grateful, but, you know... It just I was just like, it's that bad, you know? And so I really wasn't sure if she was going to pull out of it. I really, I really did think I was going to lose her. Um, and I still don't know because she's not well. I don't, nobody knows what's wrong with her, but at least she's eating and she's drinking. And so maybe, you know, her, she, she's had a course of antibiotics and that didn't in itself didn't seem to change much. And so now I'm putting through her through a course of antiparasites just in case, um, and, uh, you know, just I, I can't bring her back inside again because the last time I tried that, she makes it very clear she does not want to be in that bathroom. And I, like she would not take the food from me or do anything. She just wanted out of the bathroom. And then after I was like, fine, and I put her food in a bowl so she could eat it, she went and stepped right in it. <laughs> I was like, OK, you've made, you've made your point. <laughs> you've made your point. So she's outside and we just see what happens now. It's hard. But, you know, it is what it is. All right, and we do have a topic today, although I'm not entirely sure what it is. <laughs> yeah, okay. We have more stories for me. Um, this is this is something that is huge for me. Um, it is definitely story and writing related, but you're going to have to bear with me as I walk you through it. And it has to do with me finding the solution to a problem that for... I'm going to guess, say maybe about five or six years has just been sitting there 
looked at by multiple professionals and nobody could give me any concrete advice on how to fix it. And I didn't, wasn't even sure if it was fixable and just random insight, flash of insight. And all of a sudden I was like, I know what the problem was and I know how to fix this. It's going to involve like completely like it's story editing, gutting, tearing it apart and stitching it back together level type solution. But I want to talk to you about it because I think that, well, A, you'll be encouraged <laughs> to know that even people who have had books published and written and been on bestseller lists and won awards still have story, can still have story problems. And maybe also, and yeah, you, you, there might be some more that you can take away from it in, in solving any stories you might be, story issues you might be having for yourself. So the, the background to it is this. In, I think around 2015 or so, 2014, 2015, I wrote a book that was outside of the Vanessa Michael Monroe series. And at that point, the Jack and Jill series wasn't even a twinkle in my eye. I didn't even see what was coming down the pipe at that point. And it was a, I guess you would call it sort of realistic fantasy or something. I don't know. I, I don't tend to just. Long, long time listeners will remember us talking about quote unquote, the fantasy book. Um, the young adult novel. I yeah. Think yeah. Called. Like a yeah. young adult fantasy story. And we talked about it two or three different times. Um, so that's what we're, that's what Taylor's referencing that book. So the working title for this, just so I can give it something to talk about was the book of dreams. And it was, um, it w I never wrote it intending it to be a YA story, quote unquote. I never wrote it intending it to be any genre fit into any genre. It was just someone that I am very close to very good friend of mine. Um, someone I trust immensely came to me with an idea and some sketched out uh, characters and scenes or whatever. And I knew at least based on what my own limited experience in the literary world, what I was seeing there was just different, new. And it, it excited me so much. I was like, okay, fine. I will write this. I will write this. So there wasn't really a story so much to it as I was working off somebody else's ideas, which means I myself never actually developed the story as I would my own stories. But there was so much world building and fantastical elements. And, and just there was a lot of creativity in there that I, I never would have come up with on my own. And, uh, and so I took that raw material and I turned it into an actual story story. But so it was really interesting because everybody who read it really enjoyed it until my agent just was over the moon. She was like, this is amazing. And she was just like so excited about it. And then she took it out on submission and the reactions to it were just very panned. Like, yeah, you know, I really like what's going on here, but I don't really feel this, that it's just not quite right. But no two people could ever say what it was that wasn't working. And then I had a friend uh, in the industry who's actually a high, high-level book editor. And I, I was like, look, can you just look at this for me as a personal favor? Like, I'm not asking you to pick it up. No, no, I just, as a friend, would you look at this for me and tell me 
what's not working with it? And she's like, all I know, the only thing I can say is maybe it's the writing. I was like, I don't know. So I, I took the book back and I completely rewrote it. So I wrote that book twice. And the rewrite was really, it made it so much stronger. And it was a much better story. And this every chapter in its own is fascinating. But the problem was the story as a whole. It just, there's something that just nobody could quite put their finger on. It wasn't working. I took it to a friend of mine who was a screenwriter. And I said, can you look at this? Because you approach, you understand novels. He, he, he's written some. But you also understand storytelling from a screenwriting perspective. Can you look at this and tell me what's the matter with it? And he came back and he's like, I, there's so much good in this. Story. There's so much about the story that I love, but it's, I can see what people are saying. There's something that's not right. There's something that's missing. And I, the only thing that I can think of, and I'm now I'm trying to think of what the term was. It was a Mick, um, but no, <laughs> I can't remember a the term. I don't know. A MacGuffin. Yes. He's like, there's no MacGuffin in the story. And I, as the first time I'd ever heard that term, and even now, if you ask me to describe what a MacGuffin is, it's it's not like I could explain it to you accurately. But the way I understood it was it's a thing that the story revolves around. And even though it's not. The story is not about that thing without that thing, the story couldn't exist. And the example that was given to me was in the story of the Maltese Falcon and everybody's chasing the Maltese Falcon. But. The story's not really about the Maltese Falcon. It's about all this other stuff that's going on. But that's the MacGuffin of the story that's kind of the glue that's holding it all together. So even with that understanding that concept, I still didn't have any idea of how to fix the story. So it into the digital drawer it went, and I moved on, and that was that. And I've always said, you know, maybe after I finish the fulcrum and you know, this other book and I get all this stuff done, then maybe I'll have a chance to go back and look at that and let's see if I can figure it out. But what happened was every time I've written a book, usually at about the halfway point, just naturally my brain starts wandering and thinking, well, you know, what else, what comes next? And it just starts thinking. And, you know, in the past, that's always meant what's the next Monroe story. And it starts cogitating about possible plot lines and characters. And it's all very loosey-goosey. But by the time I finish writing the book that I'm on right then, I've got enough to go, all right, I've got an idea now. Let's see what I can do with it. So I guess at this point in the fulcrum, the fact that my brain is actually starting to wander again is a very good sign. And it wandered in the direction of the book Dreams, just randomly. And I was doing mindless stuff. I don't know. Maybe I was in the shower or whatever. And I started thinking about it. And this is the part that makes me laugh. the, The solution came to me crystal clear of what is wrong with the story, why it's not working and why nobody could put their fingers on it. But it came to me because of all the material that I've been teaching on this podcast over the last year and a half or two. Specifically, that time frame where we have focused on every scene deserves, you know, needs to serve a purpose and how, you know, the characters need to serve everything in the story needs to serve a purpose. And we've talked about uh, the, the ins and outs of storytelling and plotting. And I think specifically it was a it was 
how we ended one of the last shows where I had then made that comment about you don't just throw scenes into there and have something exciting happen because you think it needs to happen. And then without knowing why that thing is happening or how it, it ties into the whole story. Right. And I think if that specific comment was on my mind, which triggered all of this. And it's like the whole thing just folded in on itself. All the, the, the teaching, everything that I've been blah, blah, blowing out of my mouth turned around and looked at me and went, yeah, well, no, apply it to that story <laughs> book of chains. And it was like this massive light bulb went onto my head, into my head. And all these things that I've been saying, don't do, don't do, don't do, don't do, do it this other way, do it this other way. When I peel back the layers of that story, I was doing everything that I'm telling people not to do. You know, scenes that appeared to serve a purpose, but when you looked at them in the larger context of the story, they were not really carrying their full weight. They could have been so much more if instead of just showing how something was done or showing the way the world existed was the purpose of the scene, if it branched out into actually using that as a vehicle to show plot, show character, show conflict, right? That was That is core underlying mistake of everything that is wrong in that book is that there are scenes that exist in there that are not driven by plot, driven by character, or driven by conflict. And ultimately, and this is going to come up again in a uh, the next episode that we do, because I have more on this in a more formatted sort of way, but there is a comment that I put in trying to... Um, explain how to solve this, this process of fixing broken scenes. In, in my case, I'm fixing a broken story. But it's that every story is going to need world building, uh, history, context, things that sometimes can be considered info dumping. And all of those things can very much be interesting in and of themselves. But they are not enough in and of themselves to drive a scene or part of the story's narrative. They can only be used as the backbone or be integrated into the plot, moving the plot forward or establishing character in a, but if, if all you're doing is showing character in this world building sense and it's not actually moving us forward, it's still not going to work. And and that was that's the problem with that particular book is there's there are too many parts of it that are not plot driven. And ultimately, the solution, which I was scribbling furiously on a piece of paper, hoping that I wouldn't forget it, is that because I hadn't taken the time to think the story through beginning to end before setting out to write it. And I was just sort of taking these ideas piecemeal and trying to convert them into a story. Yes, it's interesting, but the plot itself is a little unclear until you get two thirds of the way into the book. Because I didn't know the plot, right? I was making it up as I went. But the solution then is to take what you know from the end and write every scene from the beginning with that knowledge in hand. 
So you start the foreshadowing, you recraft the scenes so that they're pointing in a certain direction to lead to where you know that plot is heading. You start dropping hints, you you change scenes that maybe we're just introducing a character and you introduce them through elements that are actually connected to that main plot that you didn't know about way back then, but you do now. And by basically writing it back to front, I mean, it's still the same chronology, but your knowledge of it is going back to front now. You can convert all this material, and it's going to take a lot of writing and cutting and redrafting in order to make this happen. But you can convert what already exists so that the plot is apparent from the get-go, that you know what you're getting into, and you, you're you not just experiencing this whole new world and these crazy features that ultimately end up at the end, but that end exists from the beginning and you work your way toward it with the knowledge. And it doesn't really make sense as I'm trying to explain this here because I'm speaking in very, very vague terms, but maybe one day I will be able to, to show you in a, like a summary form, here's what the original was, here's what it is now, and it'll be a really good example of how the most unfixable story that I've ever seen was fixed, just because of, of adhering to these concepts of plot, character, and, and conflict, that you cannot have a scene in the book if it's not driven by one of those three things. It's going, you get enough of that and you, the, no, what's holding it together, right? So that is my story, <laughs> my light bulb moment that I'm so excited about, but will probably be another year before I can do anything about it. <laughs> there we go. And in our next episode, I, I, we're going to be talking a little bit more about this. And I have some questions, but I'm going to save them for the next episode because I think it'll just make more sense and we're kind of at time now anyway. Does that work, Taylor? Cool. I'm, yeah, I'm looking forward to that because I love your questions. They always help me to clarify whatever it is I'm trying to explain. Cool beans. So thank you all for listening. We will be back again after this awesome cliffhanger ending. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back with you next Tuesday. Thanks for being here, guys. See you next week.